Gareth Jones on speed, Muse Warp. NASA's DART mission, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test spacecraft, successfully crashed into the asteroid Dimorphos in an attempt to change its orbit and demonstrate future technologies and techniques that may one day be used to divert asteroids from impacting Earth. A spokesperson for the space agency said today that the mission had indeed proved that this was possible, as observations now show that the minor asteroid moved considerably further out of its orbit than expected, and is now due to collide with Mars sometime today. In what has been described as orbital billiards, this will cause Mars to impact with Earth sometime in the next 45 minutes, causing the immediate destruction of all life here on the Blue Planet. Despite this, Nasser are hailing this test as a major success. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Zog. Hello. He's Alex. Hi. I'm Gareth, and I've got to start this programme by talking about the passing of Finn, our family cat, who was more than just a family cat. He was a regular contributor to this podcast for the last 10 years of his brief life. Finn, unfortunately, died a couple of days ago. He had carcinoma, he got ill very, very quickly, and we chose to put him out of his misery. Zog, you knew Finn really well, didn't you? I did. I love Finn. He was definitely, by any objective standards, the best cat in the world. I think there's, there's, there's no denying that. <laughs> yeah, this. no denying that. Um, no, he was just lovely. I mean, I'm not a, you know, a massively pet, dippy person, but I love Finn. No, he, he looked so sleek and beautiful when you first meet him but also you know if he chooses to take an interest in you and uh, you know if he decides he, he likes you, he was a lovely warm character you know when he would come up and choose to sit on your lap that was quite a special moment yes it is yeah yeah you have been chosen i had the pleasure of cat sitting him a couple of times and yeah, he will be missed he brought a lot to the atmosphere of the house and the studio yeah and yeah we will miss not having him around Zog, didn't you share more than a sofa with him once when you were cat sitting here? here's a story i remember you went for a bath didn't you uh, he did we have photographic evidence now that i come to think of it no um, i may have taken a bath selfie when he was on the tide of the bath but yeah you know he, he was quite adept at walking up and down along the side of the bar yes it turned out <laughs> Um, maybe he just wanted to be near me I don't know it's just uh, he couldn't stay away I, I remember you telling me once that he did that and accidentally fell in the bath he actually quite liked water he's a Bengal cat oh he yeah. did yes he, you're right I, I can, he did and there was a look exchanged between you where you agreed never to talk about this again <laughs> Well, there you go. Not only did we agree never to talk about it, I'd, I'd actually forgotten about it until, until that moment. But yes, he's... Uh, Deliberately forgotten. The secret, however, has not been taken to his grave since you've now outed Finn as not being quite as dexterous. Well, he took it to his grave. You just necessarily didn't yeah. didn't take it to yours. Yeah, I'm sorry about go. that, Finn. I feel I've let him down. Alex, you knew <laughs> him when he was here. He was noisy and friendly, wasn't he? I am very much a cat person. I don't get dogs, I get cats. And Finn, having heard him for years before, popping up from time to time coming over to your house for the first one I did and there was this tiny spotty little thing 
that made lots of noise and wanted to be worshipped and cuddled and molested and in, yeah. in his later years became very adept at the high five. Bravo. Yes, he did. Yeah, it was your suggestion, by the way. I, I trained oh, him. Yeah, he should do this I, trick. I would say to him at about 11 o'clock every morning when I was making coffee, we'd go through this routine and it got to a point where as soon as I boiled the kettle and got scoops of coffee out, Finn knew what was going on. And so he came and he used to shout and he used to bellow. He had this incredibly loud voice. Yeah, Zoga, I remember you described him as a very loud cat. He had huge power behind his voice. And so I'd make the coffee. I'd say to Finn, okay, Finn, on pole. And he'd climb onto this massive four-foot scratching post that we had in the living room, sit at the top. And I'd give him these little treats. And for every treat, I'd go through this routine. I'd ask him, which is Welsh for, are you ready? And he would reply something that, in my imagination, sounded like, Right, Barod, <laughs> nearly enough in his voice. So we got a treat for that. And then shake hands to say thank you. And he would reach his hand out and you'd shake hands with him. I gave him another treat. And then the last one was a trick that you suggested. Try high five. You said, this is okay. So I put my hand up and said, high five, Finn. And he, every time, without fail, gave me a high five, got another treat for that. And then a big cuddle and a hug at the end of it. That was his party trick. Also, I genuinely mean he was a contributor to the program because he appeared on the show initially we used to edit him out when we used to record all three of us in the room around a microphone if he came in we'd have to sort of be quiet and wait for a moment till he stopped shouting then we'd start recording then eventually we gave up on that because if ever I was on the phone or recording, that's when Finn would shout most. So I used to leave them in. Listeners, mm. my heart's been warmed by all the messages I've got from people say, yeah, we know Finn, we heard him on the show and we just left him in. So by way of a tribute to this uh, sleek, loud, larger than life little character, here's a sample of audio of Finn Yelling, I think is the best word for it. Shouting. I don't know if you guys will hear it if I play it over here, but let's just see. And, you know, with that sort of interruption, uh, all you can do is agree that he's in the room. I should point out, by the way, that this recording is of Finn ticking over, not a full <laughs> chat, which was much louder. And the other thing about Finn was he actually dictated how this program was recorded or what it actually sounded like because Finn hated closed doors. He loved the taste of spiders <laughs> and avocado, but he hated closed doors. So when I was recording avocado, on speed... Avocado, such a bougie cat. I know. Sorry about that. Stoke Newington <laughs> If he stopped that. eating that nonsense, he would have had a house of his own by now. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's what they yeah. say about cats, isn't it, young ones? Because I couldn't close the door. We had to leave the door open, otherwise he would sit outside the door shouting, or inside the door shouting. He hated closed doors. That actually changed the ambiance for the background sound of my contribution to the show. And today, for the first time in 10 years, we're recording the show with the door closed. So it's going to sound different. So raise a glass, everybody, to one of the contributors to this show who's uh, no longer with us, but always will be. Finn Berlin-Jones. Cheers, guys. To Finn. Not now, Finn. I'm recording. Finn. 
A few days ago, I spoke to Alex, who was in a very, very, very nice part of the world. Tell us where you were, Alex. I did Anne Holiday. I haven't done Anne Holiday with no cars and no nothing involved in, I think, about a thousand years. But very, yeah. very, very long story short, a friend, his in-laws and her parents have a place in a lovely bit of the south of France called Villefranche-sur-Mer, which is... Sur-Mer. Uh, uh, Sumer on the sea yeah. and it was very lovely and I spent a lot of my time either on a balcony drinking wine in restaurants drinking wine or on a beach drinking wine between the wine there was some walking and the car culture down there because there isn't much space the whole small car thing makes a lot of sense there are loads of smart cars lots of Renault Twingos I saw an electric Renault Twingo which I didn't know even existed no, okay. lots of like little hatchbacks because it's typically French lots of tiny little cars any of those new Amis around didn't see an Ami did see a Twizy love a Twizy okay. then of course there'd be a 911 or a heavily modified very gauche SUV with a massive V8 in it mm. and it would all be very like oh okay so this is what the normal people drive and there are the the rest the other half. And this is what I want to talk about on the programme. The microcar, the quadricycle, the minimum automobile, the smallest mm. cars that exist. Because we all agree, as people who are interested in motoring technology, that there is a virtuous spiral. If you make a car smaller, you start saving upon saving upon saving. You're making sort of compound efficiencies aren't you mm. i'm going to be pedantic here and say that virtuous circle maybe i'm not sure about a virtuous spiral an upward positive expanding to... virtuous spiral that's how yeah, i was visualizing but, but it spiral tends to imply going down oh i suppose you can spiral up yeah i guess yeah uh, but i do I, I, yeah no i thought you'd pick that one up I and i'm point. glad you did <laughs> but yeah yeah the smaller yeah. your car the more your savings and you get something about as efficient as you can. Now, in France, you spotted some really intriguing things, not with four wheels, with three wheels. What's this? Uh, so I did see, and my friends are well aware of my automotive perversions because they've known me for lots of years. We did see some small sort of what looked like fiberglass molded three-wheeled cars. They were pale blue, but they did have shark's faces. So obviously I fell in love with them with a little scooter engine, 50cc, whatever, 500cc motors in the back. They were for hire, but I couldn't find them, which was most disappointing because I would have spent some time bounding around a mountain in them. I saw an odd Daihatsu that I'd never seen before and can't find again. But I also saw, sadly only one, though I may have seen another from a distance, but I only really saw one proper micro car. And it's not one I'm familiar with because the stereotypical one is the Axiom, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they do really big business, don't they? Yeah, yeah, massive business. But I saw, and get ready for this, a Chattanet CH46. I have no idea what that is. It's different from the CH40. Because it has two exhausts, not one. And that's what makes it special. When I was looking for what it was today, that's the only difference I could feasibly tell. I tried to do as much reading on this as I could because, well, it was a fascinating thing. So here's what I found out about the Chattanet CH46. Automobile Chattanet, or probably Chattanet, is a manufacturer of microcars based in the Haute-Vienne department of France. The company was founded in 1984 by Louis-Georges Chattanet. That is it. No, really? <laughs> a little car with a little history. If you go looking for them, 
you can find some websites like resale websites and currently there are no reviews of this vehicle model used they go for looking at the site i'm looking at now anywhere between twelve thousand euros and eighteen and a half thousand euros so i think there are more premium proposition for your microcar but i did find some specs it comes with an eight horsepower steady on oh yeah 500 cc diesel engine wow that's Mm. curious isn't it i was wondering whether this one website car.info was telling porky pies but apparently it is a diesel weasel i'm happy to be proved wrong i looked as much as i could for the ch46 it's an automatic unsurprisingly and i had a look around one of those youtube videos it's like oh full review which isn't a full review it's a weird little walk around of it and it looks quite plush inside it's got a touch screen to do radio stuff and the, the upholster doesn't look too bad and the design of it looking at one now it's got a sort of Healy 3000 crossed with Crossed with BMW Mini, maybe? Crossed with BMW Mini. Crossed with an Infiniti G300 or something that's been squashed in sliding doors, I think. Yeah, Mini Countryman. Who's the guy that does those automotive sort of caricatures where you get a hand-drawn cartoon, wheels sloping inwards, kind of caricatures of cars alex you um you're the art man amongst us i know what you mean zog i know who you mean and maybe hopefully listeners will be familiar with those car characters and think of it really looks to me like a mini done in that style and then come to life as a real yeah yeah 3d shape that's about two-thirds the size of an actual mini yeah i think you're right yeah it's kind of like a baby mini like a three-quarter scale model of a car i did find out one more very important piece of information on it it has a two-star end cap rating uh-oh. Or it had a two-star in-cap rating when it was tested. So you can crash it and probably not die. <laughs> That's encouraging. Only probably. Actually, what else I did find when I was searching for it, there's a big scene of, like, parts replacement and tweaking. So you can rebuy or upgrade pretty much anything on the car. Oh, really? But you're limited by how much horsepower it can produce, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can't do anything, you know, like proper power-wise, but you can upgrade hoses and bits and door cards and just everything you want. Nice. There's a scene around them. Is that an intentional thing by the manufacturer? I mean, you know, did they intend it to be... It's out there in the culture, the idea that you can make this vehicle your own by swapping this out, putting that DIY customization. Was that a manufacturer-led thing or is it a user-led I can't find the Chateauneuf automobile website. I will have another search now. In France, the rules are different to the UK. In France, I think they have a category of car called the, let me get this right, the voiture sans permis, a vehicle without license. And it can be driven without a full driving license, but certain quadricycles can be driven on what's called a road safety certificate i don't know what that is in french a category for a driver's license which is available for people 14 years and older quadricycle must be speed limited to 45 kilometers per hour 28 miles per hour in old money and have either a petrol or a diesel motor up to 50 cc will be electric powered up to Five kilowatts, about 5.4 horsepower. Different rules to the UK. And there are plenty of French designs riding in that category, aren't there? The French love that. Why is it? Oh, yeah. Why do the French do so well with that minimum automobile? They always have historically. But why? I don't know. I think it's because they're cheap and cheerful and can do stuff. 
Yeah. So if you're 14, like over here, you can ride a scooter at 16, can't you? Yeah. And you can do your yeah. CBT yeah. and razz around. It's that, but with a roof and doors. You can't fall off of it. Mm. It teaches well, kids better driving, I suppose. They get their experiences yeah. at low speed, make your mistakes early, you know. So I have finally found the website. The list of stuff is... Um, Go on. Truly. Well, you can have a multimedia kit with a reversing camera, a variety of 15-inch wheels, or... 16-inch diamond rims for the premium model. Standard equipment includes lecky windows, central locking, reversing sensors. I don't know why you'd need reversing sensors. If you turn your back, the glass is there. Assistance with closing the doors. This is a Google Translator thing. It just means the windows won't clip it. CD radio speakers, 14-inch rim standard. Soundproof carpets. Thank you, Google. Soundproof carpets. Good. Yeah, <laughs> soundproof carpets. A very large tank capacity of 15 litres. <laughs> Automatic boot. That's quite cool. There are two engines, I think. Either way, it's a diesel weasel. Front drive... It's got brakes, it's got McPherson's at the front, independent trailing arms and what have you at the back. Hydraulic shocks, uh, what else? It's a proper car. It's a proper car. Yeah, but minimal. Allegedly, allegedly mm. maximum speed, 45 kilometres an hour. Yeah, that's it. That's the top speed in that category, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there have been micro cars all over the world for many years, not just in France. My own experience, I owned a Suzuki Cappuccino, which was a K car. And the reason that the K car category existed in Japan was if you own a car in Japan, you have to prove that you've got a parking space. Mm. However, if you own a K car, you don't. You can park on the street. You can park anywhere. So they have to be a certain width. I can't remember what the width was. Something like 1.4 meters of pretty narrow car and it gave us all sorts of fantastic cars like the little honda beat and the suzuki cappuccino and uh, i loved the cappuccino i bought one in japan had it shipped back to the netherlands and drove it back from the netherlands to the uk and it was such a great little car it was like a three-quarter scale lotus Elan 660cc turbocharged engine but because of the combination of that turbocharger and its extremely short wheelbase, I remember the first time I took it out across London in the wet, I was uh, round about Vauxhall, the roundabout there, and I pulled away from the lights and floored it a bit hard. And uh, the thing spun on me 360 degrees. Amazing. It rotated within its own axis, and I was suddenly facing all the cars that were coming towards me. So I kind of waited for them to go, gingerly drove around again, and never floored that throttle whilst holding a bit of steering lock on ever again. So it required a certain expectation of how you drove it but i drove that car i commuted to legoland for a while while i was working on a tv thing out there in that car and it was perfect for crossing london it was a city and urban car now the way that urban transport is evolving will come to right we'll talk about that in the future but we've had urban micro lightweight cars for many 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 years so you've picked a favorite and i'm guessing it's a classic yeah but i mean for me it's the Azetta, the original bubble car. Yeah. If you ask people to think about a micro car, that Azetta is one of the first things that most people will think of. If they're familiar with anything beyond the current car market, because obviously this is not a current vehicle. The Azetta was a 1950s vehicle, and in fact was made by several manufacturers over the years. I think the last, the production ended I think in 1962, BMW were the last company were building it and they were really the company that made it best known although it was an italian design most of the 
is Etas that you see around are BMWs. They're BMW yeah. Etas built in Germany or built in Britain. They were also Isetta production in Britain. Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know the car we're talking about, it is your classic three-wheeler. I say classic three-wheeler. In deference to Mr. Goy, <laughs> I am going to have to say, may I say it's a classic three-wheeler it's a bubble car <laughs> it's a bubble car the azetta and the messerschmitt were the bubble cars weren't they yeah and Heinkel. Yeah, yeah and rather than being a wonderfully sleek fast and magnificently engineered speed machine like, <laughs> like alex's morgan the azetta is a cute oddball it was made by a refrigerator manufacturer which is what isha ISO, yeah, which is what they originally were. Yeah. And, you know, it, it kind of almost looks, if you were to put three wheels on a refrigerator and yeah. push it down the road door first and may look a lot cuter, you're kind of on your way to an Azetta. I've got to ask something, though, Zog. Was it a three-wheeler? I know the very first one was a three-wheeler, but right. it was actually ah. a four-wheeler with an incredibly narrow rear track, wasn't it? I say three-wheeler. In fact, there were three- and four-wheeled versions, yeah. both um, the original Italian cars and BMWs, and other manufacturers that made Isettas made three- and four-wheeled versions. I think, I mean, although we generally think of them as three-wheelers, I think the very first prototype was a four-wheeler. It had two wheels at the back. You know, in different markets at different times, I think the three-versus-four-wheel model popularity often had to do with details of local taxation. Because, you know, oh, we've already right, talked yeah. about how, for example, yeah, the Chateauneuf that Alex is talking about and the Citroën Ami can be driven on something other than your full driving licence in France, for example. And it's taxed differently. The wonderful advantage that if you lived a little far from town and you drove into town and met a friend and may have spent the afternoon down le bar avec du vin and les gendarmes had a word, you can drive one if you've lost your licence, so you can still get around. Fascinating, because it's a car without licence, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is interesting, actually. Although you can still be busted for driving without due care and attention or something like that. It's one of those things, if, say, you don't have a traditional car licence, but you need to get around, you could have one. It's why there's low-powered mm. versions of the Twizy, for example, because it'll do that, you know, it's like eight horsepower, whatever it is, and it does the same thing. The thing that comes to my mind about the bubble car was... The potential safety issues, because the way you got in the BMW Isetta, meaning little Iso, was through the front of the car, which was the door, which lifted yeah, the steering right. wheel came out as well. So if you're in some sort of front impact, how do you get out of the car? I know there was a solution. Uh, yeah, the solution was going out through the roof, yeah. through the canvas roof. It had a fabric roof, didn't it? Although you've got to say, talking about crash safety standards, I mean, I have no idea what safety standards... <laughs> in its original form when it was launched the Isetta did or didn't come up to but it doesn't look like a terribly safe vehicle to have a head-on collision in. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, your legs are the door. <laughs> your legs are the impact structure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is a fairly lightweight metal shell. The door is at the front. There's just not much structure there. There's zero crumple zone. The crumple zone, as you say, is your... Is your leg. Is your feet and your legs. Yeah. But they are so cute. They are. We did mention power and things like that. The original had a 240cc engine or something. The, Single uh, cylinder? The ISO car. Single cylinder. A motorcycle engine. This is created they were looking to design and build something very cheaply this was in 1953 and then a year later when they showed it at the i think it was the turin motor show bmw 
who were in financial trouble and were looking for a new model, came across this cute little Italian car and thought, yeah, this is what we need. We don't have to invest money in designing a thing. We are going to license and build this. They took one of their own motorcycle engines, originally a 300cc motorcycle engine, and re-engineered it in other ways, but it's basically the same vehicle. And they built many, many times more vehicles than ISO ever did. I think BMW ended up making about 160,000 of these things, way, way more than wherever built in Italy. It wasn't in production for all that long until 1962, but just a couple of little snippets that you guys may or may not know. I'm sure you will know, of course, that there's a loving homage to the Isetta in Pixar's Cars. Oh, of course. Uh, the character of Guido, great character. Yeah. Guido is an Isetta. Guido. Great little character, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Is a real Michael Schumacher Ferrari? Yes, that's very good. <laughs> in 1954, several Isettas were entered in the Mille Miglia. No. Yes. And they took the top three spots in the economy class. Oh, Amazing. wow. This blew my mind. Yeah, Isettas running in the Mille Miglia and taking all three podium spots in any category. Win-win. Now, when I tell you that the average speed that the vehicles achieved in that race was 43 miles per hour... Over a 1,000 miles, good God. This raises the question, has anybody ever made the podium in a major motorsport event, which clearly the Mille Miglia is, with an average speed that's lower than that? That's fantastic. One other quick note. There is now available a vehicle called the Microlino. Yeah. A Swiss, mm. all-electric, Isetta-inspired vehicle. As far as I can tell, they're taking orders now. Yeah. It's not vaporware. It is happening. They are out there. Yeah. They are being built. Apart from the fact that it is too expensive, it's about 15,000 Swiss francs or well, £15,000, I think they're about the same now. <laughs> it's too expensive, but it is a super cute little electric runaround that seems to have pretty decent performance compared to a lot of the other small electric cars, small electric quadricycles, essentially, we should say, because a lot of these things are quadricycles rather than full cars, like the Citroen <laughs> Ami. And, for example, this has slightly better range and performance than the Ami, but it is more expensive. Anyway, there we go. Um, the Microlino is taking the spirit of the Azetta into the 21st century. Yeah. Good luck. It you. really looks like it. it has the front opening door and everything. It looks like a sort of a, exactly. almost Lego version of the car. It's so gorgeous. It was launched in Geneva in 2018, and I saw the website as well. They say they're taking orders, but I don't think they've delivered any cars yet, but I'd love to have a go in one of those. You're right, 15,000 euros or Swiss francs to 20,000 for the performance version. I'd like to enter that in there. They still have the Millimilia. Can we run an electric one of those in it? The Millimilia still exists, but not quite in its original form, because the original one was a thousand mile race. The first past the post, basically, quickest average speed wins. On public road. Yeah. On public road. Yeah. So Sir Sterling Moss was obviously the most famous first one to do it, averaging over 100. The thing was, I think it was mid-50s, the event was stopped because there were two pretty hardcore crashes. Because, mm. bear in mind, this was an era where cars were designed to go very quickly, but not necessarily stop or turn all that well. Yeah. And yeah, there were some pretty hardcore accidents. People lost their lives, so the event was killed. It does still exist now. It came back in the 80s, if memory serves. It's still a thousand mile road route. So Brescia to Rome and back. It's a regularity rally. So there's no overtaking really allowed. If you overtake someone, then you've broken the rules. But 
it's still a thousand miles over three, four days. So you do have to drive hell for leather. I did it in 2015. What were you in? I was in a C-Type. A C-Type? Uh, it's a classic event. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the only vehicles eligible for entry are vehicles that would have been eligible for entry in period. So starting from 1920-something to 1950-something, I believe. I'll have to do some proper reading on it. But yeah, so it goes all the way up to C-Type. I think the year I did it, there was, I think it was Nikos D-Type doing it. I think the D-Type might just sneak in. Uh, so Anizetta could do it. However, having done it, I would heartily not recommend driving a thousand miles in three days in one of those. Yeah. Largely because I'm not entirely sure you can. <laughs> yeah, I'd want something a little bit more uh, robust, a little bit more luxurious. Yeah, than I mean it's a regularity rally, really. So you go and you start, and then halfway through you go through a little checkpoint thing, and you have to time things. You have to do a lot of maths, and it's not terribly fun, but it's very entertaining as an event. It still exists; you can do it. Bringing it Just. back to micro cars. Sorry, uh, no, no, not at all. But you know, it allows us to branch off wherever we like. Uh, the Microlina, the latest electric version of the bubble car. It can add its name to a list of manufacturers of the bubble car. Isso made it, who also made the Isso Griffo, the Isso Revolta that my friend Rob had, and two other companies as well, apart from BMW. There was also Velam made it and Romy. In France, yeah, yeah, Velam yeah, in France. And then there was... Romy uh, in Brazil, I, I believe. It carried on being manufactured, I think, until 1961 in Brazil. And I bet that ran on alcohol. Did it back then? I wonder. Di Carlo in Argentina. Oh, really? Well, I love the way cars live on in other markets. It's beautiful, that. I think they were also built in Spain, but that may have been by ESO. I think ESO, yeah. I think they had their own plant in, in Spain. In, but most of the production was in Germany by BMW. Great car for loads of reasons. Let me talk about my experiences of, of tiny cars. I told you about the Cappuccino. One of the most impressive cars, and I'm not overstating this, I think, that I've driven in the last few years, was the Suzuki Ignis four-wheel drive. Man, that was the most glorious, happy little thing. And I went on a big drive. I drove from London to Powys to North Yorkshire and then to North Wales and down to London in it. I reviewed it on the show. And that proved that we can build, I know these cars are larger than the ultra micro cars that we're talking about here. We can build very small cars that can do long distances now. Do you remember when the Cinquecento came out? All the reviews, the Fiat Cinquecento, said that this is a car you can drive on motorways. It's not just a city car. Mm. And somehow we'd managed to achieve something that could do that. But talking as I was earlier, I said we would talk about how the way we use roads is changing. You know, what we can now call personal mobility rather than a car. My attention was drawn to a car I'd not heard of before. Now, it had appeared at the Goodwood Festival of Speed this year, 2022, but I missed it. But I, I saw Facebook posts from a great friend of mine, Summer, who's appeared on this program, who lives in Los Angeles, California. And she said, hey, my friend just turned up in his new whip. And he turned up in a car called an Electra Mechanica Solo, which, if you've ever seen a picture of it, you look at it and you think, where's the rest of the car? Electra Mechanica Solo. It's actually a Canadian company financed by the Chinese, built 
in China, but ultimately they're going to build the cars in Phoenix in Arizona. And it's called the Solo because it is a single-seater ultra-lightweight vehicle. And it's a trike, but it's a trike the right way round, like the Grinnell Scorpion, like the Morgan 3. What's the Super 3? The Super 3. The Super 3. Thank you. And, you know, you've got two at the front, one at the back, and this thing is gorgeous. I think it looks beautiful. It's good looking. Isn't it? I've seen one of these in the UK, I think, at a thing. It yeah. might have been Goodwood, but it might have been somewhere else. Cool looking things. I'm just mm. looking at the website. It is quite expensive. It is uh, 18,000 US dollars. 18 and a half. Yep. But it'll do 100 miles and it'll do 80 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. And I think it looks stable. I think it looks aerodynamically right. You look at it and you think, that's not going to fall over. That's not going to get blown over. But Gareth, you haven't mentioned the coolest bit yet. Which is? It's headlights. Oh, in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's got three, hasn't it? Yeah, so it's got headlights in the normal place, but then in the middle of the bonnet, like a sort of Mad Max supercharger or a power bulge, it's got a little three headlight cluster that's very cool it's an interesting look actually because when i googled it and and first brought up pictures of it the first impression was of pictures of a small four-wheeled vehicle you know super mini that had been photoshopped from the driver's door backwards to look like a three-wheeler yeah Mm. you know because the front is so much like yeah, a neat a car yeah a neat smart well-designed little super mini then it just sort of vanishes doesn't it but it's just a single wide wheel at the yeah. back. No, I mean, it, you know, it looks a good sorted design and it's much more aerodynamic yep. than I think any comparable microcar. Agreed. Yeah, it's a neat little thing. And they do a commercial version. You can yeah. get a tiny solo van. Yeah, that's Aww. right. For urban deliveries, the, the last mile deliveries or the last hundred mile deliveries, perhaps. Two things struck me about it. One is that it was my friends in Los Angeles who were buying this car now. And that says a great deal about mm. the future of mobility. What happens in California happens five or ten years later here in the UK, in my opinion. It's always been that way. And this is the land of the giant automobile. This is the place that gives you the Hummer. This is the place where you're in an arms race for giant SUVs. But at the same time, people are now taking on board the idea of, as you have, Zog, electrically assisted cycles, cargo bikes, Things are changing. And so that shift towards electric vehicles has given us a sort of a mid-range thing, a car which occupies a space somewhere between the luxury of your SUV and a bike. And this car, it comes with everything. It's got Bluetooth, air conditioning, LCD digital instruments, reversing camera which i see no point for again remoteless key entry heated exterior mirrors power windows heated seat all that it is a slick comfortable very modern looking thing i've just done a little bit of maths so the cargo version has 11.8 cubic feet of storage if you translate that into into not freedom units into liters it's 334 liters just over now a vw golf has 380 liters of boot space oh my gosh it's bigger than i realize but i'm not sure i'm thing is i'm not sure i haven't seen the cargo from the back whether the cargo bay kind of stretches out as wide as the front of the car which for that would make sense in my tiny brain or they're counting the cup holders and every millimeter of space they can possibly find but 334 liters of space is quite a lot there are two versions and by way of comparison off the top of my head because i remember this from the website the microlino has interior space for 
two people and three crates of beer. <laughs> that is straight from the website. They've got their priorities right. They've got their South of France marketing right, absolutely. It struck me as a pivotal moment, seeing my Californian friends sort of get genuinely excited and post about this on Facebook. I thought, that, that, that's significant. And I spoke to a person who does the PR for the company today. And, you know, it's a kind of horses for courses car. The idea is that most people will have a giant SUV parked on their driveway. But because of the pressures on fuel and energy these days, they'll choose to drive an electric car for the vast majority of their journeys because 80% of the journeys done in the US are by people with one person in a car. Yeah. So do this. Obviously, you talk, Gareth, about the trend towards electrification of smaller cars, but the picture is kind of you know, complicated and piecemeal and different here and there. And whilst in California, the take-up of electric vehicles like that may be fairly encouraging american manufacturers are still producing a lot of enormous and increasingly enormous trucks in the dying days of the ice driven vehicle manufacturers are kind of really ramping up the scale of the suvs in particular and it's mm. not just internal combustion engine suvs electric suvs in california as well are immensely heavy because they have to deliver cars with a range of three 400 miles the sort of thing that people expect from their conventional trucks in the usa however the solo utterly sidesteps that it says okay we're only going to make something that does 100 miles you can charge it up from your regular 110 volt ac outlet as they say in america that takes about 15 hours that worried me but if you step up to 220 you can charge it in less than half the time actually and so i thought well they're going to be doing that but you know if you're not using it every day if it's not your daily commute but your every other day commute or your commute isn't 100 miles there and back every day you don't even have to charge it every day you know what i mean that, that virtuous circle rather than spiral of the smaller it becomes the smaller the battery the lighter it becomes and so the lighter the brakes the lighter the chassis the lighter everything and yet it's still strong enough and using less materials yeah. you know, there's less to extract process stamp yeah and in the end dispose of or recycle they call it right sizing in the company and there's also less to cause damage to another vehicle yeah. there's less mass to mm. cause damage to another vehicle to people you know in terms of crash safety much as we love speed and we can joke about safety from time to time, you know, safety is of paramount importance. If you make your vehicles lighter, that's a key area in which you get benefits. Yeah. Less kinetic energy, fewer injuries, less serious injuries. It's great. It brings me back to the Rasa, one of my favourite lightweight cars, the hydrogen fuel cell car built in Wales, I have to say that, which was built on that entire premise. Let's use technology that's already available and keep the car as small and as light as possible. And there are compound benefits from that. And I think we're going to see more and more and more and more of that i asked about the solo to find out if it was coming to the uk or britain at the moment it's certified for use in the states but they're planning by goodwood next year 2023 to have it certified and type approved for small scale production and sale within europe and sorry not production in europe but sale in europe and licensing in europe so we could see it here in london and i think it shows the way that minimum automobiles have developed over the last 10 years because one of the first cars in this class in recent times that got all our attention was the g whiz 
that electric quadricycle that you still see around London. I see several in Islington as I walk around Islington these days. They are still here. I wouldn't be seen dead in one of those, yeah. And they're still horrible. I mean, if you crashed one, you might. If you've got a couple of minutes and want to scare yourself, search for the NCAP test. It is horrifying. I bet. As is the appearance of things. I've never entirely got over the fact that it just looks like something that is designed to put you off. You know, know, it it just looks so ungainly. Actually, I think that created part of its appeal because, you know, when you look at a well-designed vehicle, it has a certain balance of proportions, certain elegance in the lines. The G-Wiz has none of those. The G-Wiz has just nothing. The G-Wiz, it was given to someone, a designer, not necessarily a car designer, but the designer it was given to was told, right, we want you to design a car, and they're the kind of person that goes... I don't really like driving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. No, this, this thing, no, well, this thing, I honestly think, I'm not kidding about this, I really think that the part of its appeal to some people, people who don't like motoring culture, they don't like cars, they don't like gas guzzlers, they don't like people being mean, you know, they, they, they yeah, like they're not into traditional car culture, and they want a super green, super hippie vehicle, and this is kind of sticking a finger up at all of your traditional automotive values of gas guzzling, burning rubber and looking beautiful. It's just a bit in it. Up <laughs> <laughs> the revolution, I say. Let's end the arms race, which yeah, maybe that isn't the car to do it, but there are ways of achieving it. And I think the Electromechanica solo does both. You can have your evolution and look good at the same time. Certainly worked for me. I maintain you want to go to the barricades looking your best. Yeah. No pass around, baby. No pass around. Thank you, Zog. You've been listening to Zog. Goodbye. And to Alex. Bye. And me, Gareth. But sadly, no contribution from Finn. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!